0: Book One, Chapter Two, of *Hard Times* by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *Hard Times* by Charles Dickens, Book One, Chapter Two, Murdering the Innocents. Thomas Gradgrind, sir. A man of realities, a man of facts and calculations, a man who proceeds upon the principle that two and two are four and nothing over, and who is not to be talked into allowing for anything over. Thomas Gradgrind, sir. Peremptorily, Thomas. Thomas Gradgrind. With a rule and a pair of scales, and the multiplication tables always in his pocket, sir ready to weigh and measure any parcel of human nature and tell you exactly what it comes to it is a mere question of figures a case of simple arithmetic you might hope to get some other nonsensical belief into the head of george gradgrind or augustus gradgrind or john gradgrind or joseph gradgrind all supposititious non-existent persons but into the head of thomas gradgrind no sir in such terms mr gradgrind always mentally introduced himself whether to his private circle of acquaintance or to the public in general in such terms no doubt substituting the words boys and girls for sir thomas gradgrind now presented thomas gradgrind to the little pitchers before him who were to be filled so full of facts indeed. As he eagerly sparkled at them from the cellarage before mentioned, he seemed a kind of cannon, loaded to the muzzle with facts, and preparing to blow them clean out of the regions of childhood at one discharge. He seemed a galvanizing apparatus, too, charged with a grim mechanical substitute for the tender young imaginations that were to be stormed away. Girl number 20 said Mr. Gradgrind, squarely pointing with his square forefinger. I don't know that girl. Who is that girl?
1: Sissy Jupe, sir,
0: explained number twenty, blushing, standing up, and curtsying. Sissy is not a name, said Mr. Gradgrind. Don't call yourself Sissy. Call yourself Cecilia.
1: Its father has calls me Sissy, sir,
0: returned the young girl in a trembling voice, and with another curtsy. "'Then he has no business to do it,' said Mr. Gradgrind. "'Tell him he mustn't. Cecilia Jupe. Let me see. What is your father?'
1: "'He belongs to the horse-riding, if you please, sir.'
0: Mr. Gradgrind frowned and waved off the objectionable calling with his hand.
1: "'We don't want to know anything about that here. You mustn't tell us about that here. Your father breaks horses, don't he?' If you please, sir. When they can get any to, to break, they do break horses in the ring, sir. You mustn't tell us about the ring here. Very well, then. Describe your father as a horse-breaker. He doctors sick horses, I dare say. Oh, yes, sir. Very well, then. He is a veterinary surgeon, a farrier, and horsebreaker. Give me your definition of a horse. Sissy Jupe, thrown into the
0: greatest alarm by this demand. "'Girl number twenty unable to define a horse,' said Mr. Gradgrind, for the general behoof of all the little
1: pitchers. "'Girl number twenty possessed of no facts in reference to one of the commonest of animals. Some boy's definition of a horse. Bitzer, yours.'
0: The square finger, moving here and there, lighted suddenly on Bitzer. Perhaps because he chanced to sit in the same ray of sunlight, which— darting in at one of the bare windows of the intensely whitewashed room irradiated sissy for the boys and girls sat on the face of the inclined plane in two compact bodies divided up the centre by a narrow interval and sissy being at the corner of a row on the sunny side came in for the beginning of a sunbeam of which bitzer being at the corner of a row on the other side a few rows in advance caught the end but whereas the girl was so dark-eyed and dark-haired that she seemed to receive a deeper and more lustrous colour from the sun when it shone upon her the boy was so light-eyed and light-haired that the self-same rays appeared to draw out of him what little colour he ever possessed his cold eyes could hardly have been eyes but for the short ends of lashes which by bringing them into immediate contrast with something paler than themselves Expressed their form. His short cropped hair might have been a mere continuation of the sandy freckles on his forehead and face. His skin was so unwholesomely deficient in the natural tinge that he looked as though, if he were cut, he would bleed white. Bitzer, said Mr. Gradgrind, your definition of a horse? A quadruped, graminivorous. Forty teeth, namely twenty four grinders, four eye teeth and twelve incisive. Sheds coat in the spring. In marshy countries sheds hooves, too. Hooves hard, but requiring to be shod with iron. Age known by marks in mouth. Thus add much more bits her. Now, girl number twenty, said Mr Gradgrind. You know what a horse is. She curtsied again, and would have blushed deeper if she could have blushed deeper than she had blushed all this time Bitzer, after rapidly blinking at Thomas Gradgrind with both eyes at once and so catching the light upon his quivering ends of lashes that they looked like the antennae of busy insects, put his knuckles to his freckled forehead and sat down again. The third gentleman now stepped forth. A mighty man at cutting and drying he was a government officer. In his way, and in most other peoples too, a professed pugilist. Always in training, always with a system to force down the general throat like a bolus, always to be heard of at the bar of his little public office, ready to fight all England. To continue in fistic phraseology, he had a genius for coming up to the scratch, wherever and whatever it was, and proving himself an ugly customer. He would go in and damage any subject whatever, with his right, follow up with his left, stop, exchange, counter, bore his opponent—he always fought all England—to the ropes, and fall upon him neatly. He was certain to knock the wind out of common sense, and render that unlucky adversary deaf to the call of time and he had it in charge from high authority to bring about the great public office millennium when commissioners should reign upon earth very well said this gentleman briskly smiling and folding his arms that's
2: a horse now let me ask you boys and girls would you paper a room with representations of horses
0: after a pause one half of the children cried in chorus yes sir upon which the other half seeing in the gentleman's face that yes was wrong cried out in chorus no sir as the custom is in these examinations
2: of course no why wouldn't you
0: a pause one corpulent slow boy with a wheezing manner of breathing ventured the answer because he wouldn't paper a room at all but would paint
2: it you must paper it
0: said the gentleman rather warmly you must paper it said thomas gradgrind whether you like it or not don't tell us you wouldn't paper it what do you mean boy
2: i'll explain to you then
0: said the gentleman after another and dismal pause
2: why you wouldn't paper a room with representations of horses do you ever see horses walking up and down the sides of room in reality in fact do you
0: yes sir from one half no sir from the other of course no said the gentleman with an indignant look at the wrong half
2: why then you are not to see anywhere what you don't see in fact you are not to have anywhere what you don't have in fact what is called taste is only another name for fact
0: thomas gradgrind nodded his approbation
2: this is a new principle a discovery a great discovery
0: Said the gentleman.
2: Now, I'll try you again. Suppose you were going to carpet a room. Would you use a carpet having a representation of flowers upon
0: it? There being a general conviction by this time that no, sir, was always the right answer to this gentleman, the chorus of no was very strong. Only a few feeble stragglers said yes, among them Sissy Jupe.
2: Girl number twenty
0: said the gentleman smiling in the calm strength of knowledge sissy blushed and stood up so you
2: would carpet your room or your husband's room if you were a grown woman and had a husband with representations of flowers would you
0: said the gentleman why would you
1: if you please sir i am very fond of flowers
0: returned the girl
2: and that is why you would put tables and chairs upon them and have people walking over them with heavy boots
1: it wouldn't hurt them sir they wouldn't crush in wither if you please sir they would be the pictures of what was very pretty
0: and pleasant and i would fancy
2: ay 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 but you mustn't fancy
0: cried the gentleman quite elated by coming so happily to his point
2: that's it you are never to fancy
0: you
1: are not cecilia
0: thomas gradgrind solemnly repeated to do anything of that kind
2: fact fact fact
0: said the gentleman fact 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 repeated thomas gradgrind
2: you are to be in all things regulated and governed
0: said the gentleman
2: by fact we hope to have before long a board of fact composed of commissioners of fact who will force the people to be a people of fact and of nothing but fact. You must discard the word fancy altogether. You have nothing to do with it. You are not to have, in any object of use or ornament, what would be a contradiction in fact. You don't walk upon flowers in fact. You cannot be allowed to walk upon flowers and carpets. You don't find that foreign birds and butterflies come and perch upon your crockery, You cannot be permitted to paint foreign birds and butterflies upon your crockery. You never meet with quadrupeds going up and down walls. You must not have quadrupeds represented upon walls. You must use,
0: said the gentleman,
2: for all these purposes, combinations and modifications, in primary colors, of mathematical figures which are susceptible of proof and demonstration." this is the new discovery this is fact this is taste
0: the girl curtsied and sat down she was very young and she looked as if she were frightened by the matter-of-fact prospect the world afforded
2: now if mr Child,"
0: said the gentleman
2: will proceed to give his first lesson here mr gradgrind i shall be happy at your request to observe his mode of procedure
0: mr gradgrind was much obliged mr mchocumchild we only wait for you so mr mchocumchild began in his best manner he and some one hundred and forty other schoolmasters had been lately turned at the same time in the same factory on the same principles like so many pianoforte legs he had been put through an immense variety of paces, and had answered volumes of head-breaking questions—orthography, etymology, syntax, and prosody, biography, astronomy, geography, and general cosmography. The sciences of compound proportion, algebra, land surveying and leveling, vocal music, and drawing from models, were all at the ends of his ten chilled fingers he had worked his stony way into her majesty's most honorable privy council's schedule b and had taken the bloom off the higher branches of mathematics and physical science french german latin and greek he knew all about all the watersheds of all the world whatever they are and all the histories of all the peoples and all the names of all the rivers and mountains and all the productions, manners, and customs of all the countries, and all their boundaries and bearings on the two-and-thirty points of the compass. Ah, rather overdone, child. if he had only learnt a little less, how infinitely better he might have taught much more. He went to work in this preparatory lesson, not unlike Morgiana in the Forty Thieves. Looking into all the vessels ranged before him, one after another, to see what they contained. Say, good McChoum child, when from thy boiling store thou shalt fill each jar brim full by and by, dost thou think that thou wilt always kill outride the robber fancy lurking within, or sometimes only maim him and distort him End of Chapter two